This is the Outreach.fm podcast. Nowadays, sometimes you can look at the world and think, we've gone crazy. Things seem out of control. But remember, God is always in control. Are you looking for something fresh, new, and exciting? This is the Outreach.fm podcast. Taking the positive message of Jesus Christ to the world. Proclaiming he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Broadcasting from the Upper Room Studios to the world. Are you ready? Let's get into it. This is Outreach.fm. And now, here's Pastor William Luffman. How many of you have Easter dinner waiting? I, uh, Pastor Ginger let me, she, she dismissed me yesterday. I wanted to, after we got down, down here at 3 o'clock, I drove to Murfreesboro. I was in their Easter service. It started at 6. The service was over about 7.30. The concert started at 8. It was over right before 9, and I got home, you know, last night after that. And uh, she said, I want you to get out of here because I'm going to cook. And I don't need you here while I'm cooking. I was like, okay, uh, that's fine. I'm just glad that she's going to have me there when we're eating. That's, that's the good part. Amen. So I won't be long. I see what time it is. I believe if you'll preach with me, we can be done in 30 minutes. That's pretty good for a, for a 47 year. You know, I've been preaching 47 years. You know, we like to preach a long time, but I won't if you'll help me. Now, how many of you know when you amen me, I get faster? And how many of you know when you just stare at me, I get slower? Okay, so, so the more amens, the faster, the more stares, the slower. Let's get on home and get to what we have waiting for us. But Father, we thank you for the word we're about to receive. And we do receive it with gladness. We're so appreciative and grateful and thankful of everything that you've done, you're doing in our lives, Lord. And all of us are imperfect, and it's proven every day. We do something to prove our imperfection, and yet every day, your perfection speaks for us and holds it up for us. So we praise you, Father, for salvation, deliverance, and healings from the preaching of the Word. And all God's people shouted. So we're going to go to John chapter 19. We're only going to be here for a minute. I know today is the resurrection, but I want to set this up for just a quick minute before we go into what we're here really for today. And we're going to start here. Jesus is on the cross, and it's been an excruciating uh, day for him. As you know, he's been beaten brutally before he ever got to the cross to the point that he couldn't even carry his cross all the way up to Calvary's Hill. He had to have help. We know that from the Gospels that he couldn't even carry it himself the whole way. His body was already beginning to go through all kinds of medical trauma and things that were going on because of the vicious beating that he went through. So now as he's hung on the cross and he's crucified, we'll pick up the story, verse 20. Uh, where are we going to go? Verse maybe uh, 20, 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. So we see these ladies firmly there at the cross. You know, what I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes is the day that changed everything. Everybody say everything. Everything. Now, if you've been alive very long, you can remember certain days that we would say changed everything. Let's talk about on a a world or national scale. How many of you... uh, Remember 911 when it happened? 
And we would have to say that that was a day that changed everything. If you go to the airport still now, there's still, even before the pandemic, there's still all kinds of stuff that you got to do that you never had to do before 911. That was a day that changed everything. And then if we go back to the end of, or middle of March of last year towards the end, and the announcement came out by the president, we've got this pandemic, this invisible whatever, and now we all got to shut down 15 days, and then of course it got extended to 30 more days, and then we've still been kind of, you know, kind of firing at it now for two years. We would have to say that particular period of time was a day that changed everything. Amen? But what I want to talk to you about today is something that changed everything. And when we say everything, we mean everything. We mean everything that ever was anything was changed that day. And so now Jesus is hanging on the cross and here are his, his, uh, the ladies that are there. And of course, when Jesus therefore saw his mother... And the disciple standing by whom he loved. John, this is John's gospel. And John is writing about himself. He called himself, I am the one that Jesus loved. And it's a, it's a really, uh, if you read his gospel, it's such a wonderful thing that he had a revelation of the love of God that, that the others just didn't have. And he called himself, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. And by the way, how strong was that love? Well, it took him all the way to the cross while the other disciples had scattered in other places. And notice this. So he saw his mother there and he saw John and he said unto his, uh, to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Now this is a strange statement for him to make because John was not related to him and certainly therefore was not related to Mary but what we're getting a hint of here is Jesus is saying, your eyes are playing tricks on you. You see me hanging on the cross. You know I'm dying. You know what the cross does to every person who hangs on it. Their life comes to an end. You think after today you're not going to have a son, but actually you've got a son standing right beside you. I've already made a provision for you that you will not be without a son. Now I want, you to, I want you to catch this. This is really a cool thing that, that even before Jesus has died, he's already making provisions that people will not be without. It's a pretty huge thing here. And then said he to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, listen to this, and from that hour, that disciple John took her unto his home, own home. As far as we know, uh, Mary died in the home of, Jesus, uh, of John. And now, so I want you to, I want you to see the, the, the love here. I'm trying to set you up for the love that, that is happening here on the cross. And even though it's a grim day and it's a dark day and it's a, it's a really awful looking day, already things are being put in place for a return. Now, I want you to understand, anybody in here that's ever been through a divorce, don't raise your hand. Statistics tell me if you're an adult, it's way over half of you. If you've been there, it's horrible, it's dark, it's ominous. Your, your, your brain tells you your life is done. You can't get a restart. Nobody's going to love you again. You'll never be the same. The dreams you had when you were 15 or 18 are over, and you'll never have it again. But most of you who have gone through that have found that that's not necessarily true. And what, what Jesus is trying to establish on the cross is what looks like final is never final. Isn't that good? Don't you like that about our God that what looks like is final is never final? That's the great thing about serving our God. 
And uh, the Bible says, after, these, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So notice, it, he didn't stop until he made sure everything was done. He said, I thirst. He knew that was, this was all prophecy. It all had to happen. And there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled it with a sponge with vinegar and put it up on a hyssop on a stick and they put it up to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. But I'm telling you, it was, what all he was saying is, there is, this part of the story is finished, but this finish is the beginning of something else. This, Today is a day that will change everything. Can you shout amen? amen? Now quickly go with me to Luke 24. I know that's why we're all in the house today. We all come to hear this story. And as a pastor, I have preached Easter messages now for almost my entire 46 years. I've been a, be a Christian 47 years in June, but I didn't preach my first Easter message till a year and a half later. So this is my 45th Easter message that I've ever preached. And, and when you've got a congregation that's been here before on Easter Sunday, as a pastor, you feel a little pressure like if I go in there and preach what I preached last year, they're going to know it and, and they're going to think, doesn't pastor have anything else? So, But here's the thing. I don't need to tamper too much with this message. This is the one Sunday you don't want the pastor to go off in another direction. You don't want the pastor to preach on something. You don't, you don't need the pastor to create a new sermon. You need the pastor to remind you about what happened this morning because this is it. Jesus dying, now listen to this, this is going to sound like I'm not telling you the truth because you're going to think of scriptures that might tell you otherwise. Jesus dying was not enough. It wasn't enough. It was enough to pay for sin, but it wasn't enough to appropriate sin, the, the, the forgiveness. Sin could be paid for, but the forgiveness couldn't be appropriated. If he stayed dead. If he stayed dead. So here we are upon the first day of the week, verse 1, very early in the morning. That would eliminate a lot of believers. They came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. Now we know who they are that were coming. These were the women. And they waited the customary three days. And that's why if you go to three days and three nights, it's hard to start on Friday, but that's another story. But anyway, they've waited the three days and nights and they have come what they are customary to do to prepare the body, to put some spices upon this body because these bodies would lay in state in these places until basically they decayed. And then they'd take the bones, put them in a smaller box and that's where they would put them. They didn't bury them in the ground like we do. See, we got, a, we got a Western mindset. We've been to a lot of funerals. They didn't do it that way. They came expecting to find a dead body in there of Jesus. They watched him die. And they were going to put some spices on his body because now it was going to begin to decompose. And they thought that was the right thing to do. So they came to do it. It took, by the way, it took a lot of courage for them to come. Don't you know those Roman soldiers are standing there? And they've been watching to see who was really close to Jesus. Watching so closely that all the disciples, except the one he loved, John, were hiding out. So the women were taking a bit of a risk and they run to the, they run to the, uh, cave, to the place there and, and now they know that there's a big stone there and what they're hoping is they can convince the guards to roll it back for just a moment, let them go in and anoint this dead body. That's what the women were hoping for that day. But verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away. So the first thing that, that happened when they got there, they didn't notice the guards, but something unexpected happened. Everybody say Unexpected. 
Now bear with me a minute. This is important. They went there expecting this huge stone to be there, but something unexpected had happened. The stone was rolled away. They didn't see the guards. They thought, what, in, what, what is going on here? Don't you love it that God loves to do the unexpected? Don't you love it when we think things are going to be this way and we're already preparing for them to be this way? God goes, hold on a minute, pause. I am God and I'm going to do something unexpected. Some of you, I'm going to prophesy over your life that you think that things are, you know, I'm telling you God's going to do something unexpected for you. That's what our God does. And he does the unexpected. They found the stone rolled away. And they entered in, this is into this resting place, and something else tremendously unexpected happened. They found not the body of Jesus. You talk about unexpected, this is really unexpected now. Can you imagine what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're going through? I mentioned this morning that when I married uh, Pastor Ginger in 1982, it'll be 40 years in this October the 15th. When we got married, I married her and her mother. Because I knew, I knew her mother before we got married. I knew her mother really had a, probably a relationship more than mother as far as I knew her and we talked and all that before I met her. So, and I knew that when I married her, her mother lived with her and her mother would be living with us. So that lets you know I'm a faith guy right off the bat, right there. My mother-in-law lived with us, and she lived with us for almost 30 years till she got ill in her last few years and couldn't live with us anymore. And, and everybody called her Granny. How many of you remember Granny? So a lot of you knew Granny. And, uh, but I remember when I first started dating Pastor Ginger, uh, the little church we were a part of, Granny, about every now and then, not very often, Granny would say, I got a song. Now, we don't do this much, uh, you know, in churches anymore. But back then, if you got a song, they'd let you sing. You, didn't, you weren't on the program. It wasn't in the bulletin. Nobody rehearsed. Nobody practiced. But if you, especially if you had an elder lady in the church, they'd have, and they'd listen, if you didn't let them sing, they'd just stand up and start singing anyway. I don't even know what I'm talking about. And you know, once that starts, you just got to go, man. You just let it go. But Granny would say, I got a song. And she'd walk over, and Paul was a young guy, and he hadn't learned how to play piano very well yet. And piano, Paul would sit down and start plunking on the piano, or maybe Ginger. And Ginger played piano more than Paul in those days. Most of you don't know that she plays piano and guitar. And um, so, but she had this song called Gone. And it's, you know, gone, the stone is rolled back, gone. And, and, and she would start singing Gone. And so every time I read these scriptures here, I, I, I'm reminded of Granny. Now, Granny, like a lot of white folks, no offense, I'm white, so don't get offended um, on the outside. But, but don't, don't be deceived by what you see. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of white folks, not all, don't have rhythm. Granny didn't have rhythm, have rhythm. Meaning she didn't, didn't even have the have rhythm, not have rhythm. She had the not have rhythm, not have rhythm. So Granny would take off singing and you're supposed to find out where she is and you'd play a little bit here and, and then she'd pause and go right off again. But, but this song, I remember Granny singing it. And the thing that, that really got me, I, I looked at Granny as like a, I really, I mean, I really admired her. You know, I'm like 20, when I married Pastor Ginger, I turned, I was 23 the week we got married. I paid, I, I turned 24 like a week later. And I was a pretty young man. Granny was, I don't know, 50 at that time, which is very young, by the way. But when you're 23, it's not. So I looked at Granny as a guru. I looked at Granny as, as like, you know, uh, but I noticed she would cry 
every time she would sing that song and she'd get all, you know, and she'd just get into it. And I thought, but, but, but I knew that song meant something to her. So when I, this, they entered into that tomb and they did, they, they, something unexpected happened. Jesus was not there. Now look in verse 4. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. This, was, of course, was not the guards. They were the angels that we know by other uh, of the Gospels. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, these are the women bowing down. The angel said to them, why are you seeking the living among the dead? What a great what a great question. They said, you came here expecting to see a dead body, but you have to understand that believers are never, believers never uh, are, should be present at the grave. Uh, gra graves, graves should never be, believers should never have to think about the grave. Right. He's literally saying to you or saying to them that day, you are a believer. Why did you come in here looking for a dead body? Because believers, believers are never, they're never here. They're never going to be here. If you, I've done 400 plus funerals, memorials, homecomings, celebrations, whatever you call them. I've done over 400 of them. I've been to so many gravesides and so many places and watched so many people cry. And it, it hurts me because I'm a pastor and I feel for them and I feel their loss and I feel all that stuff they're going through. And sometimes I wish I didn't feel it because I feel like, you know, it would be better for me. But, but here's what the Lord is saying about this. Even though you've been there and you're watching this, they're watching them put this box in the ground and you saw them close it and you looked at the shell of what was your loved one and you, you think they're going down into that ground. No, 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 no. They never, ever, ever, ever went into that box. They never, ever, ever went into that ground. They never, ever, ever are going to be at that gravesite. Are you listening to me? And they said to them, you came in here looking for, uh, why are you coming in here seeking the, uh, the living among the dead? He's not here. Something has happened in here. You're talking about something that, now it shouldn't have been unexpected because there was verse after verse after verse after verse after verse after verse where Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. But don't be too hard on them when it's never happened before in your life. That's a pretty tough thing to swallow. Although, there have been hints of it. Now, let's read on a little bit more. And here is the key verse. He is not here. Please tell me, all of you great English students out there that I'm sure scored better in English than me, the next, the punctuation mark after he is not here, what punctuation mark is that? Shout it. Is it a period? Now, if it had been a period and that would have been the end of the verse, we probably should all go home. If it had said, he is not here, period, then of course your thought is, like they tried to say, somebody stole his body, some of these fanatics came and grabbed his body, tried to make it look like he, you know, something supernatural happened, but of course it didn't happen, he is not here, we don't know where he is, uh, we know that, you know, and then you're just left to believe that nothing supernatural happened at all, but there is a comma, and there's a continuation of the sentence, what does the rest of that sentence say shout it out it says he is not here he is risen he's risen 
This is the cusp or the summation of the Christian faith in one verse right here. He is not here. Oh, he is risen. Those three words are the most powerful three words ever spoken over mankind. Because those words blew open the doors of heaven, blew off the doors of hell, which meant paradise and show and all those compartments that were there before. Now, now don't remember you're not you're not amen to me. So okay, so I just got five extra minutes. Okay, got it. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you for those five extra minutes. Um, Jesus, by the way, when he died on whatever day it was, and we won't get into that debate. The the only reason I always bring that up is either we we try to make the Bible fit our thoughts and theories and our traditions or we have to let the Bible interpret itself. If it says the Son of Man must be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. That's what it says twice. It says that as Jonah was in the belly of the well, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. That's what it says. We know he was raised on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. Be careful that you don't just not read your Bible or that you don't try to let tradition, it's like people putting the wise men at the birth of Jesus when the Bible never put them there. But we've sold so many nativity sets with it, how can we not do it? It's been in so many movies. I remember, why am I telling this story? I I know you've heard it. Why am I telling a Christmas story on Easter? Oh, well, but they are tied together. Um... But I was in a play back, way back, I was a young kid, 19 years old. I was in a play at the Church of God. I was attending the Church of God. It used to be here in Clarksville. I was not pastoring then. Of course, we weren't married. And, and they had a Christmas play. And uh, I was supposed to be the, I think I was the frankincense. I was, they, they cast me as one of the wise men. And I'm the frankincense, I think. I don't know, I was one of the three. And I remember, man, we rehearsed and rehearsed. And my part was, I was supposed to walk in there, go over to the manger, present my frankincense to Mary and Joseph, put it by the baby, kneel a little bit, walk away, and get off the stage. No, nope. they said, stand over here, okay, stand over here. I had to go there for about three weeks and learn to rehearse that. I thought, you know, I'm not smart, but I'm pretty good. I got that already, man. <laughs> I don't think I need to show up next week for rehearsal. I got that one. Anyway, let's get off of that. Let's get off of that. So here we are. Jesus has been raised from the dead but even though he's been raised from the dead so far all we have is the word of a couple of angels and after all they do work for God so you would expect them to be a little biased wouldn't you? I mean generally speaking the angels are going to you know, give you the God side so so far it sounds like a great story it sounds really good but so far it's just angels So maybe we ought to pause and not go into hysteria yet about whether he's alive or not. But we ought to keep reading, shouldn't we? Now the Bible says they did remember what he said. Like, wait a minute, he did talk about this. Do you think? Everybody say, do you think? And they said, saying the Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. They were all hiding out in their houses. These men of God were 
distancing themselves from Jesus because they didn't want to be identified with him because they still feared the Roman government. Peter defiantly three times denied him and cursed to prove that he didn't know Jesus. These guys were nowhere near that tomb that day. Uh-huh. And for all the churches that say, uh, uh, you know, a woman should not preach and a woman should not teach. And they take two scriptures out of context that Paul wrote to the epistles. I suffer not a woman to teach. I tell a woman to stay silent. They take those two. They never look at the context. They never look at the culture. They never look at why it was said. And they ignore the incredible number of times where God opened the mouths of women to speak. Two men. These women spoke to men the message, He is risen. The first ones to preach the message I'm preaching this morning was not a guy, was not a man, but it was some women. Thank God they didn't, thank God Paul hadn't written yet and told them, you can't say anything. They ran over there and they said, Because if they're going by some churches today, they couldn't even have told the story. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Be careful that you don't... See, the problem with the Bible is that most people have is they'll take one, two verse, build an entire doctrine, and ignore all the other verses that... Because if something seems contradictory, it could be then that something was written at a time, at a period, to an individual for a reason, but not forever. Man, I'm preaching many sermons. And I'm, I, we're kicking over sacred cows. Can you hear the moo in here this morning? Man. All right, let's get back to the story here. Let's, let's get back. Because something important is about to happen here. Verse 11. So they went back and they told the apostles. Women. Everybody say women. It says it clearly in verse 11. It was the women who told. Women told, okay? And their words seemed to them as idle tales as they believed them not. The disciples didn't even believe them. They didn't believe them. Well, that's like a lot of people today. Again, if a woman was to get up and preach, some people would walk out of the room because they've been erroneously taught the Bible and, and they would miss what God would have to say. I'm telling you what, when we have Nancy Dufresne here, I will be the, I, I'm sitting there, I'm the pastor, but I'm going to be sitting there anyway. Man, I better get off this stuff. I'll lose a couple of you here in a minute if I don't watch it. Look at verse 12. Then arose Peter, we know also John by reading the other Gospels, and ran to the sepulchers. So they have a foot race. They're like, no, 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 no. It's not true. It's not true. They ran and, and they stooped down and they beheld his linen clothes and, and they were by, they were, they, they, uh, oh, wait a minute. There, 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 there's his, there's, but, 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 but where's he at? And they don't find him, of course. And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was about, Jerusalem, three scores, about seven miles. I've been there, I've seen this, this I, know where, I know where this is. But seven miles is a pretty good track to go by foot. And it came to pass, now here's a two, couple of these disciples are talking to each other. They go, do you think, do you think I don't know, you know those women, you know how women are. Now they told us, do you think, no, no. Do you really believe it? I'm not sure. Ah, uh, not really sure about this. Can you imagine the conversation? And they talked together of all the things which had happened, but verse 15 is the knockout punch. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself. Everybody, everybody say Jesus himself. Okay, circle that, because that is the biggie right there. 
No longer was it hearsay, second party, third party. I heard, somebody told me, I heard, I saw an angel, somebody said this to me. You know, he used to talk about it when he was here. No longer was it any of that. Now Jesus himself, the Bible says, came alongside him. In one translation it says, Jesus joined them. They're walking along, do you think, I don't know, do you think, do you know, I don't know, and then look and go. And there's Jesus. And over the course of the next 40 days, he would appear to 513 people to prove that he was indeed alive. And if you go quickly to John 20, we'll, we'll begin to start thinking about fixing get ready to close. Those are all southern colloquialisms, so thank you for allowing me to interject them into the sermon. Amen. Uh, over here in John chapter 20, and we're going to begin to close. Man, I got so much stuff up here, and I never do get to it, so let's put it away. And all God's people said, Phew. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Oh, God, help him, Jesus. John chapter 20, verse 19. Now, here's a part that people don't usually read on Easter. I don't know why. We all love the morning story, which is a fantastic account of what happened. It is, and we, it's essential. But notice this, verse 19. Then the same day, saw. so we're going to get something happen later that we kind of ignore sometimes. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, so we know it's still Sunday. Sunday. Same day. When the doors where the disciples were assembled... Uh, they were in there. They had their doors shut. That, for what? For fear of the Jews. Even though by now we know they'd heard that Jesus had arisen. We know a couple of them had actually witnessed it. But, 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 but they've gone back. They're afraid here. And they're, they're hiding out. And notice what happens. Came Jesus and stood in the midst of them. Wasn't an angel. Wasn't Mary or Mary or Mary. <laughs> you know. Wasn't any of the Marys. But Jesus comes in and they had their doors shut and we don't find anywhere in this story where they opened the door. What we understand is he just walked through. When I say walked through, I mean he walked through the door. And stood in the midst of them. And what was his message? Shout the first word. Aren't you glad that the first words out of the resurrected Savior's life, and I know he said Mary to Mary and there's an account of that, but I'm talking about when he was with the group. Aren't you glad that the first words he spoke to the group were, or was, in this case, peace. He said, peace be unto you. Aren't you glad? Now, this word in the Greek is pretty interesting. Be careful here with it because you might not understand the scope of it. It doesn't just mean peace. This is a military word here. And it's literally saying this. You don't declare peace in a military situation unless there's an end to the conflict. Are you hearing me? He came in, he said, by the way, guys, first thing I want to say to you is peace. Now we know from the book of Revelation, he said, I'm he that was dead and I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and hell. There was a war for three days and three nights. And again, that's why you got to think three days and three nights. According to scriptures where Jesus went into hell, there's all kinds of details about it. He didn't just go in there, die on the cross. They laid him down. He stayed stiff for three days. He got up, got out of there. No, he, was, he went into the pits of hell. How else do you get the keys of death and hell unless you go where they are to get them? And according to Revelations 1, that's what he did. Now, I'm throwing out some chunks of meat for some of you that you might need to go home and chew on for a while. That's okay, though. 
But the first words are peace. Aren't you glad? And notice what he says here. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Now he knew that they needed some proof. He knew that a couple of them, we know Thomas kind of stood up, but let's be honest, it wasn't just Thomas. Thomas was one that talked about it, but we already know by their uh, previous actions, they were all still, they were probably still, wait a minute. And he said, hold on a minute, guys, look at this. And here's what they knew. There has never been a human being ever go to a Roman cross and have those staves drawn through their wrists or hands and through their ankles and have a spear thrust in their side. There had never been anyone ever do that and tell about it. And that's when they knew the real Jesus was there. What I'm telling you today about your faith, this is important that you know this about your faith, that there were a lot of eyewitnesses. This is not just a book about somebody who supposed something and wrote about it just to supposed it. We have eyewitness accounts, over 500 accounts of this. Now look here, let's keep reading. Then said Jesus to them again. What did he say again? What's the first word you see? Okay. He said, I'm telling you. It's going to appear to you that nothing has changed. It's going to seem like everything's the same. But I'm telling you, there's been a seismic shift in the realm of the Spirit that you don't know anything about. From the time you saw me on that cross to the time you see me now, there's a day that changed everything. Everything's changed now. You don't even know about it. The authority has been given back into your hands. The powers come right back into you. In a minute, he'll make sure they have it. And we'll see it. He said, now, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. He said, in other words, when when I got here, I didn't come down here and walk around as Jesus, the Son of God. I walked around as Jesus, the Son of Man, who was anointed of God by the power of the Holy Spirit so that I was able to do all the miracles and signs and wonders. I didn't use my heavenly powers. If I'd have used them, they would have delivered me. If I'd have spoken, think about this for a second, and I know our time is fleeting, but think about this for a second, that Jesus didn't just say no to to, uh, uh, being delivered in the Garden of Gethsemane he had to say it a lot that we never know about. Don't you know when they drove that first stake at, oh! And his mind and the pain, don't you know that his body was saying, stop it now. Right. Yeah. right. But internally, he had to say no because he knew if he'd have uttered anything. In Pilate's Hall, he had to stay quiet or he would have gotten delivered there. He said, he said why aren't you speaking? Because he knew. So what he's saying is, as my father sent me in a flesh body, but equipped me with the power of the Holy Spirit to go and do signs, wonders, miracles, healings, and cures, and to get this world turned up, upside down, I'm sending you the same way. Amen. Now, now, wait a minute, because I know you're saying amen, but I don't know that we get amen on that yet, because now think about it again in a minute. Wait a minute. He's saying, just as my father sent me, well, did, Je- did the Father send him uh, where he would be powerless, weak, hopeless, uh, oppressed, depressed, beat up, beat down? Is that the way God sent him? No, the Bible says he went in the power of the Spirit. And somehow we think we've gotten a weakened, watered-down version in our own lives that has no, uh, it's not comparable at all to Jesus. But he said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Then look what he does in the next verse. And when he had said this to them, he breathed on them the power of the Holy Ghost. 
Now, they didn't have the evidence in tongues. They didn't get that till you know, 50 days later. It would be the, at Pentecost, 40 days while Jesus was here and 10 days after he had gone. When they waited there for 10 days, that's all together another sermon. I'm giving you like 100 sermons in one today. You're going to have to go home and slice this pie a lot. Okay? But understand, he gave them the Holy Ghost. Then look at this. Then he said, whoever sins you remit. What? 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 Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Wow. Sounds like the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. Sounds like the same ministry is still, should or should be operating in the earth today as was then. But we have been watered down, weakened down, let religion, doctrines, denominations, failed people, our experiences, our failures, people who prayed and didn't get anything, we let all of that dictate our doctrine and our belief system so far down that if we can just get a sneeze healed, we feel pretty good about ourselves. There was only one time that said he could do no mighty acts because of their unbelief. And for us, most of the time is we could do no mighty acts. We need to get this fixed. We need to get this fixed. We need to believe our Bible. It's going to make you feel good that I put it up there. You can smell that ham now. Unless you're Jewish. I don't know. But anyway. We're almost done. So what am I saying? The day that changed everything. He is not here what's the punctuation? Comma. Comma. He is. And then we, at first we had angelic witnesses, but eventually we had human beings like you and me that literally said, oh my gosh. He even told, he even told Thomas, hey, take your, take your finger and thrust it in there. You want to make sure? Go ahead. It's okay. I, I, I mean, it's me. We're not serving a mythological God. Come on. We're not serving some big statue that you rub the belly of. Amen. Or, or, and I'm not making fun of anybody's. I'm just talking about, I'm trying to tell you what we're doing. Amen. We're not praying to a prophet that died in a cave. Amen. We're praying to a living God who overcame death, hell, and the grave. Amen. And is alive forevermore. Amen. And the song we sing today, and I'm so glad that we sing it a bunch. We're going, we're going to keep, I'm going to have him keep singing. You're going to get, read, get used to that song. I saw the, the group that does that song, We the Kingdom. That's who I was in Murfreesboro seeing last night. And when they start singing that song, I was like, yeah! Because God so loved the world Amen. that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish. Young people are coming to Jesus. Did you know, I saw so many teenagers there last night and they were crying, had their hands raised in 20-somethings and families with little kids, three and four and five years old, moms and dads. And man, they were out there worshiping God in this big, huge field. I thought, my Lord in heaven, revival is on the earth and we don't even know about it. You guys keep watching the news and you think they're ever going to show you revival? Lord, no. They don't, want you, they don't want you to have faith in God. They want you to have faith in them. Have faith in God, the Bible says. Have faith in God. Last thing I'll say. You're hopeful. Uh, how many of you remember Larry Huggins? Larry came to this church a lot of times. One of the greatest men of God. Powerful man of God. Every time he came, the gifts of the Spirit would be in motion. People got healed, saved, delivered. Uh, he was on the church board here for like 12, 15 years. Well, they moved overseas. I think they're in Spain now. I texted him not long ago, and I think that's where he and Loretta are. And uh, 
So anyway, years ago he was here. And he told this story, and I want to tell it to you today. And I realize we already had an altar call. We won't have another one. But I want to tell you the story to remind you of why you know you are redeemed. If you are a Christian, I want to remind you why. Why you know it. Uh, Larry was kind of, uh, we called him eccentric. I don't know what we call it, eclectic. He had a lot of, he was, he was a, a guy had a lot of little aspects that some of you didn't know about. He was a sculptor. He loved to sculpt. And when he'd get off the road from preaching, he had a big thing set up in his garage. It had some incredibly expensive tools for sculptors. And he would come in and, and work on a piece that he was working on for a while until he went off again and then he'd come back working on some more. He, in those days, uh, in the early days, he had four young sons at home. And he told them, don't you ever, 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 ever touch one of my tools. Ever. Or I'm going to whoop you. How many of you know what a whoop is? <laughs> That's a good southern word, isn't it? <laughs> How many of you have ever been whooped? The next generation may not even know what that's all about right there. I don't know. He said, I'm going to whoop you. And I'm going to whoop you good if you even touch any of my instruments. He'd been out on the road for a while. He came in and the garage door was open, which was a little odd. He didn't see anybody there. And he looked over and man, he could tell his tools were scattered and a couple of them and on the floor. And he said, I went into a rage. He said, I'm telling you, it came up in me. It boiled from my toes all the way up. And he said, I thought, I don't know which one did it, but when I get them, I'm going to whoop them good. He said, I was in full throttle whooping mode. And he said, I was getting ready to go into the house, the door out of the garage leading into the house. We had a couple little steps. And I was, he said, I was already in a fury. And when I went up, I looked and I looked down beside the steps and there was a pool of blood about this big. He said, then he thought about it. And he looked at one of his tools and one of his tools had blood on it. He said, oh my gosh, he thought about it. One of my boys has cut himself. And he said, when I saw the blood, I no longer had fury or rage. All I wanted to do was make sure my son was okay. Let me tell you something, when God saw the blood of his son on that cross that day, he never saw your sin again. He never saw your mistakes again. He never saw, he never saw, and God hadn't been mad at you a day since then. When he saw the blood, it changed the trajectory of everything. Think about that. When he saw the blood, I know there's days that you get mad at yourself. I get mad at myself all the time. I, I don't know about you. I talk to myself a lot. And I mean, we have some pretty heated discussions. We, we do. Just think of who you're, think I'm your pastor and we, we are having discussions. And you're sitting under my ministry, praise God. Um, and I get mad at myself because you know God has never been mad at you because he saw the blood of his son. You've been listening to the Outreach.fm podcast with your host, Pastor William Luffman. We hope you've gotten some inspiration from this show. We enjoyed bringing it to you. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, reach out online. Find our website at faithoutreach.org. The streaming platform is livestreamchurch.com. Get an inspirational shot at a doseofhope.com. You've been listening to Outreach.fm. And remember, no matter what the weather may seem like in your life, the sun's going to shine again.